Blighty Thank God is based on the diary our family discovered my late father, Ron Chapman, wrote in 1943 when he was a young RAF pilot serving in the Middle East and Italy. In this grave hour... I'm Neil Chapman and a former journalist. The podcast highlights the stories I uncovered when I researched his diary, along with other historical sources. For me, this episode is the most poignant. And when I've shared the story with others, it's the same for them. It's the story of the death of a close friend of my father's, and all the evidence I could find points to the fact that he witnessed the plane crash that killed... Flight Sergeant Jimmy Eden. The story is also about tracing a daughter who never knew the father killed when she was just a baby. It started with a stark nine-word entry in my father's diary. Sunday the 30th of May, 1943. It is one year today since Jim got his... The nine-word entry in my father's diary on May the 30th, 1943, read by granddaughter Bethan, was the only clue that started me on a near one-year journey to find out who Jim was, what happened to him, and why he was uppermost in my father's thoughts on that specific day. It was a journey that took me to South Africa, and the joy of meeting, virtually, Jim's daughter, Maureen, who was now in her 80s. Sadly, this amazing lady has since passed away. In discovering Jim's horribly tragic story, I realised it is representative of so many other brave young men from that time, buried in lonely cemeteries, thousands of miles from their home, and any relatives who can visit their graves. Through researching my father's diary and other sources, I am certain Jim and he were close friends and that my father probably witnessed his death and the immediate aftermath, a burning wreckage. And he also would have known that Jim's fate could so easily have been, or could be, his own in the future. Twenty-eight-year-old Flight Sergeant James Eden was killed instantly on May 30th, 1942, at 10.30am local time at Wadi Natrun, Egypt, which is about 150 kilometres northwest of Cairo, when the plane he was flying plunged into the ground. He suffered multiple injuries and extensive burns. The next day, Jim's wife, Peggy, received a telegram at her home near Preston. And like so many, she would have heard a knock on her door, opened it, to see a young telegraph boy standing there, who then handed her a piece of paper with priority written in red at the top. Her heart must have sunk at the sight of him. Deeply regret to inform you that your husband, number 1021398, Sergeant James Eden, lost his life on the 30th of May, 1942, as the result of an aircraft accident stop. Let her follow. Stop. 
Please accept profound sympathy from Records Telex Gloucester. Then came a typed letter from the Air Commodore in charge of the nearest RAF Records office. The Air Council desire me in conveying this information to express their sympathy and deep regret at your husband's death in his country's service. I am, dear madam, your obedient servant for Air Commodore, Air Officer in Charge of Records. Jimmy and Peggy met and married through their love of music and theatre. Peggy, known for her charm and stunning looks, played a principal boy in the local panto, while Jim was in the orchestra, a violinist. He worked in a local hospital, and she was a nurse. He had also been the head boy at a local grammar school. Together they had a little baby girl, little Margaret, or Maureen, as she was known. But the war pulled the family apart, Jim enlisting with the RAF in 1940, the same year as my father. In April 1941, both he and my father started their pilot training together, two northerners amongst the 60-strong intake. And by the end of that year, they were both in West Africa flying in their first hurricane convoy to Cairo as ferry pilots, delivering desperately needed fighter planes for the North Africa campaign. Toward the end of May 1942, my father having recovered from his earlier Tomahawk plane crash, Jim and he were posted to Wadi Natrun, Egypt, much closer to the North African front, where they were delivering fighter planes. My father arrived at Wadi Natrun on May 28th, 1942. Jim had probably been there only days himself. On the morning of May 30th, 1942, Jim climbed into the cockpit of a Kitty Hawk Mark I. It was AK-627. His experience flying the plane was probably the same as my father's. Fewer than five flights and at most six hours flying time. Not much. He took off in the plane but very quickly got into trouble. More than a month after the accident, here's how Jim's unit commanding officer described what happened in a condolence letter to Peggy. July 1st, 1942. Dear Mrs Eden, as the commanding officer of the unit in which your husband was serving at the time of his death, I desire to express my deepest sympathy with you. Sergeant Eden was killed whilst delivering a fighter aircraft to the Western Desert. We saw he was in difficulties after taking off. He spun in from a low height and was killed instantly. Your husband has been with this unit since his formation and during his service with us proved himself a capable, keen and willing comrade in arms. He was very popular in the mess and always cheerful. He made many friends whilst with us. He was buried in the Mustada... So that's how, in my father's own words, Jim got his. A phrase that almost predetermines the prospect of death for any of the ferry pilots. The investigation's official verdict into the accident was cause unknown. But I believe, with hindsight, there were factors that led to the crash. Apart from Jim's limited experience, here's what could have happened 
when he flew a plane that is now regarded as one of the worst of its type during the war. After starting the engine, takeoff had to happen quickly, otherwise the cooling system would boil over. But the plane was sluggish at climbing, partly because the engine was never quite powerful enough for the plane's airframe. Many of the early Kitty Hawks delivered by the Americans were destined for France. It was all part of the USA's support known as Lend-Lease. But after the French were defeated by the Germans, the British snapped the Kitty Hawks up. But the planes were fitted with French instruments and a reverse French fashion throttle. In other words, it worked the opposite way to a British plane, such as the Hurricane. Now try remembering that in an emergency. There was also the fact that Jim stalled the plane when it was only 200 feet up in the air. Why that was, that wasn't determined. But in a stall, the Kitty Hawk makes a sudden wing drop to the left and then the plane's nose dips. The advice is don't stall the plane close to the ground. A case of stating the blindingly obvious. Lastly, the plane's oil cap needs securing from both sides, otherwise it can cause an oil leak, either into the cockpit or onto the canopy, blocking the pilot's view. It was a fault the RAF was picking up early on at this time. So Jim may never have stood a chance, and on takeoff the plane's fuel was full. To see the plane dive into the ground and burst into flames doesn't bear thinking about. Jim was buried two days after the accident on June the 1st, 1942. Officiating was RAF chaplain, the Reverend B.H.C. Wilson. Sometime later, Peggy and Maureen received condolences from King George VI and the Queen. The Queen and I offer our heartfelt sympathy in your great sorrow. We pray that your country's gratitude for a life so nobly given in its service may bring you some measure of consolation. George R. Peggy, now a young war widow, Baby Margaret, just 30 months old. When I first read the nine words in my father's diary, I was somewhat perplexed, but I knew that they had a deep meaning for him. Thanks to a range of sources, it was possible to build upon the little information which I started with in order to discover Jim's tragic story. My first port of call was the Commonwealth War Graves Commission. That told me the serviceman killed on May the 30th, 1942, called Jim or James. With a name and digging through the files on the Takaradi Cairo ferry route, revealed that Jimmy was one of the four Hurricane fighter pilots who flew as part of a plane convoy number 285 on December the 10th, 1941 exactly the same one as my father did. 
Given that, I could assume my father and Jim trained together and shipped out from the UK for West Africa on the same ship. Other searches revealed Jim had signed up for the RAF at an office in the northwest of the UK, so he probably came from that part of the country. That gave me enough information to help someone who loved to delve into ancestry websites to discover Jim had living relatives, granddaughters, and the daughter who was just 30 months old when her father died. Margaret, or Maureen, was now in her 80s and lived in South Africa. We all met up on Zoom, sharing information and photos that helped Maureen and me to build up a clearer picture of our fathers. Thanks to the photos she shared, I was able to identify Jimmy in pictures that were in my father's photo album, group shots of the training locations they had both attended. Here are some lovely words we exchanged by email. My sense of loss and curiosity about my father has been with me constantly, and to receive this personalised revelation at age 80 is more than I could ever have hoped for. I do feel nearer to my dad, and I'm so proud of him. You have inspired me to write our family story, and I am well into it and totally absorbed. Anyway, this girl is going for it. May this girl rest in peace. The day after the anniversary of Jim's crash, which he mentioned in the diary, my father also talks about another incident involving a colleague of his. Monday the 31st. Had dinner, sub-cheese, then pictures, not so hot. Hear Tucker praying at Masara. All okay except Observer, not in his own crew. He was killed. Burnout. By the end of May 1943, my father had been away from his home base of Habania for six weeks. Six weeks without any mail from family, a vital link for any of the airmen during war. Flight Sergeant Tucker had kindly brought his mail specially when he flew down to Sharjah, where my father was at the time. Tucker then flew on to a small island off the coast of Oman. As he came into land, there was a dust storm, and the engine cut out. Everyone escaped except the 21-year-old navigator, Sergeant William Simmons, from Hove. He remained trapped inside the burning aircraft and he's buried in Basra, Iraq. For too many airmen, a sudden, horrific death was just a fact of life they had to live with. Thanks to Maureen and her family for sharing the cherished pictures and documents relating to Jimmy's service. And I'm deeply grateful to Australian musician Rachel Bostock for allowing me to use her rendition of The Last Post on the violin as part of this episode. To find maps, photographs and other material associated with each episode, as well as the complete diary with my research notes, visit the website blightythankgod.co.uk. The diary extracts are read by Ron Chapman's eight grandchildren. He'd be proud of all of them. <laughs>